your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to ATP. James here, joined by Alex and Ryan. Feels like Groundhog Day because Everton are once again on the hunt for a new manager. On today's episode, we will be discussing all of the linked candidates for the open position, and we will also be, before that, doing a quick recap of the Rafa Benitez saga, all the unfortunate events that transpired, and looking at what Everton do next. Before we get into things, if you would do us a massive favor, if you could subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice and leave us a rating or review that helps us out a ton if you want to follow us on social media you can do all of that at invite.gg atp you can find all the links there um and that is about it and without further ado ryan take us away talk us through how this all went so very very wrong i know we made some jokes before on like if you had a like he was a sleeper cell coming from liverpool football club to kind of seal our demise secretly. I mean, on all honesty, there's kind of some evidence to suggest that could have been real. Um, but, but realistically, I think it started with, with expectations up front. I mean, I think most people thought this would be a bad hire. I know on the pod, we thought he would be incredibly destabilizing and was a terrible idea. And, and Farhad Mashiri came out up front and said, you know, talked about his knowledge, his experience, passion. We heard that a lot. His one line, you know, talking about top end, competing, winning trophies, what he said was, I thought very interesting, was Rafa is a proven winner with huge experience in coaching internationally, and we have secured the best man to achieve that for us, achieving winning trophies. So I, I got to think about that for a second, and and I know I know that's a nice catchphrase, and I think a lot of fans are like, he's a winner, you know, he's won a lot of trophies. Is he really? And the reason why I ask that is, I mean, has he experienced a ton of success? I mean, do we really think he's thought of or most people would say, oh, you got a proven winner here? I think it's hard to support that with any evidence, at least in recent times. Yes, of course, he did have success across the park. Uh, Epilencia in Spain had some immense success, but you look at what he did at Napoli. He went to Real Madrid. He went to Chelsea. He's won trophies at some of those places. He, of course, took Newcastle down and then brought them immediately back up with an incredibly expensive squad. But the narrative that he's a proven winner consistently over time, and of course, we brought him back from the wilderness out in China, which felt very bizarre. And I think the reason he went there in the first place was A, the huge payday and the fact that no one else would probably have him at the time. So it was bizarre that Mashiri was harping on it, but we all know Moshiri's proclivity for wanting a quote-unquote Hollywood manager, and uh, I guess that's what he thought he was getting in bringing in Benitez in the first place. Well, I think I think part of it, too, is, you know, was he saying it in, you know, relative to Everton's recent managers, obviously minus Carlo, right? I mean, other than Carlo, like, who's more decorated than Rafa Benitez in recent years? Essentially, no one. I'm not saying that's a good measure. I'm just I'm simply stating a fact. I'm simply stating a fact, right? He has more silverware than the other managers we've had, except for Carlo. Um, so it seems like an easy way to fish for that sort of reaction from fans, because relative to that, I mean, what is that a winner com- compared to what we've had? Maybe. Yeah, I, he is a proven winner. It's just, is that relevant? You know, that's, that's really a thing. And is he a recent one? I mean, you, you go back through it. I mean, 
Dalian is a their relegation brink club, but he didn't really improve them. Newcastle. Newcastle's tough, man, because the fans love him, but you know, I can't help but think there was some wizardry there too. Cause I, I don't think there's anything there. I mean, they finished 10th once point at one point, but I don't I don't think any I mean, I don't I think that job is maybe overrated. Madrid he got fired. Um he did okay, but they couldn't stand him. Napoli, I mean, he dismantled a stud Napoli team in like two years. I, I think you could argue that the last time he did a good job was Chelsea. And that was as an interim, and he didn't get hired permanently. We'll get to that in a second. So I, I don't I, mean, I think you could say he's not really a proven winner anymore at all. I mean, he won a cup, I think, in Italy and won the championship with Newcastle on a team that probably should have. Um, but neither that's neither really here nor there. He got off to a great start. And I think then, you know, when that happens, which I think was important for him, people are thinking, well, maybe he still has, it. you know, e- even if some of the doubters that maybe didn't think he was all that relevant anymore, are like, well, there you go. You know, it can win. But but I have to admit, watching these matches, I never felt too easy about it. So I asked this question and it's in our notes here was it really a great start highly questionable i think and we said so at the time on the show we played a lot of teams who are well some of them are above us in the table right now but i don't think that's really necessarily we're in 16th almost everyone is above us exactly so look we we beat southampton on opening day but we started out pretty poorly and we're down at the half and ended up sparking an amazing comeback to to win um, we beat Leeds. Huddersfield was squeaked by Tide Leeds. Tide Leeds, you're right. But I mean, Leeds is turns out to not be so great this year, right? Exactly. Brighton and Hove Albion, we got a good win. I don't think there's any qualms about that. But then things started to go downhill rather quickly after that. Yeah, I mean, like we got smoked at Villa 3 0. That was definitely not a fun one to watch. QPR, in which we gave them 61% possession. That was absolute trash against QPR. And, you know, that was that was that was a match in which we were really looking for something a little more um, telling. Now, we did get we did pull off the Manchester United tie. We did have to grind out for that one. But then, you know, we ended up at the West Ham match in which Moyes definitely got one over on Benitez. And it was extremely clear to, I think, even casual fans at that point. Yeah, and I think that was a, the, the West Ham match was was kind of key because. You're looking at two diversion paths. You look at West Ham, who brought Moyes back at the time. We were bringing in Carlo. So people were looking at that as kind of lining up. And when Moyes outfoxed him in pretty much every sense, I think people really started to ask some serious questions. And that was very early on still. So he bought himself some time with the quick start and the results. But I think those sneaking suspicions that many fans had um, started to creep in and, and start to sow doubt amongst the fan base. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, that that West Ham match did not look good. I mean, that's the one where you saw and you just felt like we, we you know, it, we were in the match. I felt like they didn't score until the second half and it might have been on a set piece, but you just never had this feeling we we're remotely in control. And for me, you know, I, I it, throughout this whole period, I mean, the style of play wasn't a fan. I don't know. And we talked up front in the pod about who fits and who doesn't. But what I was not surprised about is sure enough, right after West Ham, when it looked like we might start to go south, what do we start seeing? Rafael Benitez and his variety of excuses. Yeah, he came out with an interesting quote in which he said, I have a lot of confidence in my staff, but if we have to do something, then we will do it. One thing I want to be very clear is that I'm trying to improve every single department. The fans, the club, the owners who have spent a lot of money, they're desperate to be competitive. It felt like an interesting time in which he started to talk about other departments and Maybe the question could have be asked, should he spend more time focusing on his own department at that point? Yes, he should have. Yes, he should have. 
It, I mean, I, I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah, I mean, clearly. I mean, it wasn't like we were winning some of these games, not convincingly. Um, we'll get to all the different reasons for it. But yeah, it, it, we didn't look very well organized. And um, you thought it might get better, but it really didn't. No, and this was, of course, the next match being the Watford capitulation catastrophe, which I think at that point was when many fans really turned. Of course, it was a horrible, hor- horrible result. And what does Rafa do following that capitulation? He immediately starts to blame people who have been at Everton in the past. He said, on set pieces, I came here, here being England, in 2004, and we were doing zonal marking, and people criticized the system. Two years later, we were the best. The main thing for us is to make sure we attack the ball and show character. We're not doing that. So he's blaming the players, uh, disparaging their character, implying that they're not showing any character. Uh, And if you're a player in that locker room, that can't feel particularly good. That's not going to endear you to the manager all that much. But we know that Rafa doesn't particularly care about that. Um, But then we move on. And again, it just continued the downward spiral from there. Well, then he changed the system. So, like, you can't sit there and complain and say it's not zonal marking. And he was adamant about that after the match as well, too. And then you go and change it. So clearly you thought it was. Or you picked the wrong personnel to do it. And again, we talked in this pod and beat it into the ground about how why that didn't necessarily work and certainly need to have the right players in it. Um, But I I think, I mean, for me, I thought there was a moment here where I thought he had a chance to get it right. And uh, the beginning of the Wolves match, I thought, was probably the worst start we had all year. It was an absolute disgrace. I can't believe he once again set us up in the same way he has, the same gap in between lines. But even worse, he throws J.P. Bameen into the fire as an eight, which is not why he was bought. I mean, he's supposed to be more like a sitting six, a more defensive player. You would think you would move Alon over to the other side of the box scar and have Bameen sit deeper, you know, to fill in that gap. And they just toyed with us. They were so well exercised. I mean, yes, Godfrey had a bad back pass, but I mean, they toyed with us. It, it was a joke. I mean, I feel like it was eight to one in shots, I think, until their second goal. And then what did he do? He switched. In the 38th minute, he switched to defending in a 4-1-4-1 and attacking in a 4-3-3. And it was a nine-day difference. I mean, I think it was 13 to two in shots after that. I mean, uh, he still screwed up Awobi and Townsend where he played at Townsend in the middle and Awobi out of right wing. So we were just pinging crosses. So despite Awobi scoring, we weren't coming back from that because that's part of the reason why, again, wrong people, wrong role. But I mean, it was a night and day difference. So what does he say afterwards? What does he say? Of course, it's not a question of shape. It's a question of character. Well, I can't say it's a question of shape because if it is, well, you're responsible for the shape. So uh, you screwed it up up front, but he can't say that apparently. And I think that hurts you as an Everton manager. I, I think the average Evertonian wants a little humility, I think. I think that goes a long way, and Carlo definitely showed it. And I, that's why part of this guy's character and the way his demeanor is is not not a good thing. It's very divisive. But the sad part is he shows up against Spurs, and we looked organized. I mean, we were playing that 4-1-4-1 again. Again, he screwed up, you know, eventually brought in Wobie on and screwed that up too. But he was playing Towns in the middle, I think. But the point was we looked organized. So I thought there was some hope. We controlled that game. It was 1-1. We didn't generate a whole lot. Um, and then we kind of trotted ourselves into the man city match and we got slaughtered and then he went away from it and Brentford probably, I mean, that was a tight match, but we didn't look all that dangerous in that, even though we finally had the ball a lot and that leads us into the Derby and, and let's be honest. I mean, that was, I mean, Alex, we've talked about this. This was a bad performance. Yeah. I mean, at Goodison park, the Derby, the one in which, you know, Carlo got us a very much needed result last season. 
Um, we ended up losing 4-1. And that was, that was that infamous video of Marcel Brands up in the box as fans are screaming at him, you know, sack the board, do this, do that. And that is when he was quoted saying on video, is it only the players insinuating that Rafa Benitez was a huge issue? I think he handled that pretty well, honestly. I mean, that guy was screaming bloody murder at him, which, okay, I get that you're frustrated and stuff, but I I think there are a lot of factors at play. I don't know how anyone could watch those matches. And I I think part of the problem is some of these guys don't know the players and understand how they should be used. Cause I don't see how you could watch us play like that and, and not say, why is that guy playing there? And you know what I mean? Well, I think it, in some senses it became kind of just this entire referendum on Everton of the uh, under Farhad Mashiri uh, and under brands as well. But I do think brands handled it very diplomatically. That said just a few days later, he did resign. Um, and that was where I started to have some very, very serious concerns about what Rafa Benitez would do to the long-term structure of Everton. Uh, Seven days after Brands resigns, we go to Palace. Um, The Palace match, we were, again, inept, really poor, outplayed by Patrick Vieira's side. And at that point, you know, four days later, we played again, and, and Benitez would play the blame game, continue with his nonsense, And pointing it back at the players, to some degree, he said they have experienced changing managers. They have experienced trying to adapt things, and it was not working, which is the feeling of the last few years for any Everton fan. Success or frustration? You know the answer. I have a lot of fans that are telling me the same. They know the problems are not just ones you can fix in just five months. So he's trying to buy himself time now, even though the results are going against him. It's clear he's not getting the best out of the team. And he's saying that there were all these pre-existing problems at Everton that were impossible for someone like him to fix when in reality that is partially true, but he wasn't doing himself any favors and in fact created many more problems for Everton along the way. Yeah. You know, he said that after a Chelsea match where people thought it was great that we got a draw, but it was total annihilation. I mean, how could you have watched that match and thought, I mean, they had the ball the whole time. I think the XG was 2.7 to 1.4. I mean, really? Like, that's as one-sided as it gets. I mean, I, I think we went back and said it was the most one-sided match we've had in, like, three years or something ridiculous like that. Um, and then it just went downhill from there, you know? The Brighton match, which we kind of rallied back, but that, I mean, I don't think that was a particular. I thought Brighton were the better side. Um, we beat Hull in the FA Cup, hey? And then finally he met his demise in the Norwich performance, which was atrocious. So, look, I, I think there were some real issues here. Some of them are his fault. Some of them are not. But to me, there were clear issues that were Rafael Benitez's fault. And it would have been nice for him to take some accountability of it. I think he did not. Number one, I don't think he did himself any services by bragging about his wonderful player audit up front. Because I just mean constantly throughout his tenure here, misusing players right and left. The Alon Decore pairing did not work. Continually thinking Alon was going to be able to sit back and be a little more conservative to help Decore get up the pitch doesn't make sense. I mean, there's so many of these things. I mean, you guys can pick it. You know, we talked to all of them. Davies JPG is the eight next to the lawn. That doesn't make sense. Dean sitting back and not attacking versus Coleman attacking. And and Dean still being taken off set pieces is just insulting. And I, I can understand him getting mad about that. Um, Gray and Richie at the 10. I, I, what is he thinking there? Like, that's never going to work with his system. Uh, like we just said, Townsend inside and Wobie outside together. I mean, that makes no sense. Holgate center mid at Spurs may have been the most gratuitous one. Like, are you kidding me? Any of you guys have any favorites on these? Because there were so many, you just shake your head. You'd be like, that's 
I know that player. That's not how he's supposed to play. Well, the Luca Dean one, <laughs> taking him off set pieces, and yet to this day he remains our leading uh, leader in SCA from uh, dead balls. So still, after, and that was week four. So astonishing stuff. I mean, you gotta really emphasize the whole gate at, at CDM against Spurs, where he came in, I believe. Gave the ball away, almost gave up two goals, and then had like a couple really bad fouls and just so sort of came. They got the red card, which that was a game that we could have won, you know. And I, we looked strongest at the end there. He blew that. I I think number two too is the setups in general. Um, I mean, pick one. I mean, did you guys have a favorite? I mean, I I, I thought my personal favorite was the insistence on the four four one one, where you're asking Rondon to basically be this all world player with someone behind him half the time, where he'd have to win the ball and somehow settle it with two people on his back and distribute it 40 yards across the pitch to someone else open. I thought that was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Rondon, we know, is not that good. But nothing worked. I thought the 4-4-2 in defense, I mean, continually got exposed, and he would not change it. No, I mean, honestly, there's not one formation that we set up in this year that I thought, wow, this is exciting. This is going to produce the type of football that we want to watch. And I know I, I do recognize a huge part of that is the personnel that we had at our disposal, right? I mean, we lost James and Sigurdsson, so we only had one true number 10 in Nwobi who was never used there. Um, that really limits how you can play. We only had Rondon up top for a large uh, portion of the season so far, which has been another hindrance in terms of how you want to play as well. It is. I mean, I think the number three point is set pieces. I mean, you, you can't you can't deny that. I mean, we were the worst in the league at one point. I think when he finally got fired, we, we had given up eight goals in the Premier League. I think only four teams were worse. And again, you know, zonal marking with undersized player was to blame undersized players was to blame for much of it. But like if Mina's out, you can't I mean, don't do that. You know, change it. And he showed he can change it. And why would you change it from last year anyway, when it was one of the best in the league? Um, injuries is a fair critique, but. I also think it's a little bit overblown. I mean, people have forgotten that we played more players in the league than anyone last year. We didn't have a single player with over 3,000 minutes. We had debatably the worst injuries last year, too. So what we did is we posted on the Discord, and we could put it out there, too, but we kind of did a quick comparison of players this year versus last year and what the differences were. And look, th- there are two big ones here. I mean, injuries to players, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Yuri Mina are, are massive to this side. I think we figured that out by now. Um I'm not going to give him uh, the Gilfie thing. I don't think is an excuse because Gilfie, I don't think should have played last year. I thought he was, uh, I thought he dragged us down. Um, I mean, I'm not giving him credit for not having Hamez, right? I mean, he wouldn't want Hamez anyway. I mean, they couldn't stand each other. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if that nullifies Gray and Townsend being in there. I mean, Townsend apparently is a key player on this team. He plays every minute. Um, the other one is Dean is kind of interesting, right? Because the difference was Carlo didn't have Dean for a long period of time. I mean, um, I think 287 minutes of what we had is Dean played more for Rafa, but that's not really the right calculus, right? Cause there were five matches he didn't play. So you add 450 minutes to that or so you're looking at an over 700 different minute difference. Coleman, Alan Godfrey. That's the other one. Alan was available a lot more for Rafa. So some of these were his choices, right? I mean, so that that's gotta be on him. That's not just injuries. Right. When you take the, the player availability against the actual minutes played, it's uh, different because of course, as you said, Dean, was available and just wasn't utilized. Um, and again, I mean, I do think the dominant Calvert-Lewin thing, obviously, and you replace him, it'd be one thing if we had a Moise Keen in there to fill in, but you're replacing him with Rondon. The drop-off in quality was significant, but you replicate uh, some of the things he can bring to the side 
I just don't think there's really any excuse. I mean, he froze out James, so that should be really a, a mark against him, a demerit, if you will, when you take away that much creativity. And yeah, I mean, between James and, and Dean, that was most of our open play set creation or rather open play a shot creation and chance creation from last year. So without those two guys, it, it was really incumbent upon the new guys, Damari Gray, Andrews Townsend, and Anthony Gordon getting a lot more minutes to replicate that. And they just really haven't been able to do it on the same scale. I know we love trashing Alex Wobie, but I mean, Carlo used him a lot at this point in the season and we were winning, you know, so uh, he found at least a role for him and Carlo didn't have any right-sided options. So that's the thing. I mean, you think about it, Wobi doesn't play. He's played like one match since November. I know everyone hates Wobi, but but me and the same thing, not really using him at all for whatever reason. We're not quite sure, and certainly used him once and not in the right way. He didn't look bad when he came on against you know in the cup. So I, I don't know what's going on there, but I mean it maybe there was a recruitment issue too. You know, I, that's a lot of wingers. I mean, he was the one who wanted wingers. I mean, he's the one who, if he was gonna use Bameen, I guess you still didn't want a true defensive mid in there. You wouldn't use three in midfield. So there are injuries and there's also a way to use the guys that you have available to put them in, in, in successful positions, but you can't deny Dominic Calvert-Loon and Jerry mean are, are big losses. So, I mean, I can't, can't deny that. No, it's no question. Um, there were some, some individual mistakes as well, too. I mean, look, I mean, Keen own goal um, recently against Norwich and then back pass Southampton. Godfrey had that terrible back pass against Wolves, although, we were just getting totally dominated. We we're lucky not to be down three or four nil at that point. So there were some of those, but I mean, really, was it individual mistakes? He, he called out a lot of those in terms of individual decision making. But again, if the setups are bad, you're not really putting people in positions to succeed. So, so my way of looking at it is, yes, lots of mistakes in the past, but he didn't get much out of it. And look, this is not a 16th team, even based on the players that are that are available. And I mean, I, I just don't. Year over year, yes, the injuries were a difference, but it wasn't that much of a difference. And I think he has a lot to be accountable for. And and so, no, I mean, I think he deserved to go. And and the fact is that that really the worst part about this is it's one thing to not perform real well, right? It's another thing to basically destabilize the entire club. I mean, the cost of this hiring and then subsequent firing was massive. Yeah, look, this was not just a case of, okay, we replace the manager were on the hunt for a new manager. The damage that Rafa Benitez did to this club in just six months is going to be something we're, we're reckoning with for potentially years to come because we know he came in and got Dan Donaghy out the door, medical, brought all his medical guys in, essentially gutted the entire footballing operation. We already talked about Marcel Brands, but uh, Greta Steinson and you know the entire scouting team, the analysis team, all the backroom guys uh, and, and then, of course, the infamous departure of Luca Dean, which we've discussed so much on the show, but it's hard to deny that it was partially, if not entirely, due to the manager himself um, and the disagreement there. And then, of course, we're using the funds from the Dean sale to buy Mikolenko and Patterson, who both are promising players, but certainly based on the market out there, we probably overpaid for both of them. And so... Not only do we now not have a manager, but we don't really have any, you know, there's no delegation. There's there's nothing left for the football operation. You've got Duncan Ferguson and Leighton Baines taking training, but all the assistant coaches are gone. The scouting, the recruiting, all of those pieces are gone. And so it's really a wonder that we're even keeping the lights on at the club at the moment. Yeah, the Dean thing is, think, is the one that really kind of irks people. You know, I mean, that's the one where you just look at the time frame and you kind of, 
he asked some questions. I mean, I, I can't remember who it was. It might have been Andy Watt out there who compared it to maybe it was DL Barks uh, compared it to the way Ghana went out where Ghana wanted to leave, you know, or had an offer from PSG. He's like, God, I can't. I got to go, you know, and brands said, just stay. They'll come back for you in the summer and we'll sell you then. But we need you here, man. You, you, and, and it was fine. You know, there was no animosity. It was fine. You could have done the same thing here, but nope. And this is Rafa's history. So I, I don't understand why people are, you could say whatever you want about Dean, but I, I just don't, I don't get that. And the worst excuse I, I keep hearing is his agent was looking for other club. Well, yeah, of course he was. I mean, why is that? I, I don't understand that logic at all. How in the world is that something that's like, oh, he didn't want to play for the club. No, I mean, he's doing his due diligence. Every player does that. I mean, do people not realize like when Carlo was left, how many players do you think talked to their agent or how many of their agents independently said, Let's look and see what's out there and explore the market. You seriously think that agents don't want to make fees? Like you don't think Jorge Mendez went out there and said, hmm, maybe if I move Hamas somewhere else, I can get another couple million. I mean, come on. That's ridiculous. I, I'm very concerned, too, about who negotiated the Mikolinko and Patterson deals. Um, Dinamo Kiev's not an easy team to deal with. There's no way we didn't overpay for that. You can't convince me he has more potential or talent or ability and then some of the other guys that were cheaper and Patterson's really raw too so yes good young players but who the heck's doing those negotiations I think we overpaid and I think the market shows that very obviously that we did but look it's over it's done we've got what we have right now um it's a tough situation to be in no question and I think we've got to take a step back and say you know where are we going from here so where do we go next next obviously means we are in the search for another manager. And I think it's important before we start talking about possible candidates, um, we should talk about how the initial Benitez decision was made as of about seven months ago. Um, there were these fabled yachts in which many rich men... <laughs> I'm setting it up pretty well. So essentially there were face-to-face -face talks, not on the phone though. They had to fly in. COVID times also, I'm going to point that out. Kia Jorabchian, the Iranian who advises Moshiri, essentially met and told him that he should sign Benitez. And Usmanov gave Moshiri advice to call Roman Abramovich, the owner of Chelsea. <laughs> Are you getting this up, right? It's Rafa Benitez's former boss to see how he felt about him, which apparently provided a glowing reference, which made no sense because he didn't hire him on a full-time gig. So... We're kind of at the point now where uh, maybe there's not so much detail going into a managerial search last time out. Hopefully, possibly this time, it'll be a little different, right, Ryan? Well, are you suggesting that this is a better way to do things rather than ask your director of football who he wanted? Because I think Brands wanted Graham Potter. Uh, there was some discussion. I'd rather go on the yacht as well. <laughs> That's Yeah, Potter can get on the yacht. No, no one says that. I think he'd be totally uncomfortable. Christoph Gautier was another one. I think he would like appear in his snorkel gear and like jump out of the water and like take a couple people out on the way into the top of the yacht. You know what I mean? Like uh, James Bond style. Um, he was another rumored name. And what is he doing right now after working miracles of St. Etienne winning the league with Lil when they, I mean, he started there when they relegation, which is weird to think of Lil that way. And what's he doing with Nice right now? He's in second place, starring captain Dante at 38 years old at center half, along with Morgan Schneiderlin featuring midfield. So, Hey, yeah, it really is. I mean, that guy really is a miracle worker. His personality would work very well. So so now what do we got, basically? Everyone's gone. You got no football people out there to advise him. They're all gone. So you got George Shabin, basically, um, in Moshiri's ear, I guess. So look, you know we're going to get links to Mendez clients. So that's Catuso, Nuno, 
Jose Mourinho, of course. Um, Bill, uh, we know, loved Roberto Martinez. So here's the real question. You guys have some fear that no one is going to want to join the circus? 100%. I mean, that's a, a major concern right now. You just left this gigantic vacuum in your wake by letting this guy run rampant in the club and then seemingly turning on a dime and, and sacking him. Who is going to look at the last several managerial appointments at Everton and say, oh, sign me up for that? I mean, unless you look at the ridiculous contracts that Farhad Mashiri loves to just throw out at people, three-year deals for everyone, ridiculous salaries. And and maybe he does have to pay kind of over the moon to get some of these names in. But I think you just want to look for a guy who um, is hungry and and you're going to have a hard time persuading someone to come in without any sort of structure above them, which we'll talk about as we move through. But wait, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Wait, wait. This is the perfect time for Alex's favorite topic. What type of manager do we need? What do they need to bring? Spirit. Spirit. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, that's coming. So, I mean, that's, you know, you know, they know, or if they know the city, right? Yeah. And didn't, did I read this correctly? Did Greg O'Keefe and the athletic mention that like, we need a manager soon? Is that what he said? Yeah, on the 17th, a couple of days ago, recording on the 19th, said that we wanted a manager by Villa, which is obviously this weekend. Um, why? I don't know why we're in such an immediate <laughs> rush. I can't really fathom that. It seems like the only way that that happens is if we uh, really force someone through very aggressively and aren't thinking long term. Maybe maybe they just meant to add interim ahead of the word manager in that because that's what I'm kind of hoping. And, and if, if that's true, then we've kind of achieved our goal. Um, but then next, I mean, there was a, there was essentially a press conference. Graham Potter, it was a name that, that was thrown around a lot previously, especially in the summertime. Um, and I think even before then, and a lot of Everton fans seem uh, somewhat on board, but he was asked about it. And he basically said that he is supported at Brighton. He's happy. He seemed to almost indicate that he felt that would not be the case at Everton. Um, it does not seem that he has very much incentive to leave a place like Brighton at the moment where he's, he's doing so well. What do you guys think? I mean, look, he basically said, look, I've got everything at Brighton and Everton have none of those things that I have currently here. He would be getting set up to fail because there's no director of football. And that's really what's helped him thrive is, is operating within that model, how he would fare in a model where he has to lead recruitment and do all these sorts of things that until we hire someone else are going to be incumbent upon the manager to do. I don't think he wants any part of that. And what modern manager would? It's just, you can't do it anymore. The time is not there. I mean, if you're spending time watching videos of players and stuff, unless it's nicely packaged and you need to make a final like check on someone, it's, it's not a good use of your time. I mean, because you know, your opponent's manager, you know what he's doing? He's going through film. He's watching all your matches. He's thinking about how to set you up. Just the amount of time, the size of the squads to manage all the individuals, um, game planning. I mean, that, I mean, serious opposition analysis takes weeks typically. So for a manager to take what your scouts already prepared for you and come up with the game plan, it takes a long time. A lot of the modern managers don't want to do that anymore because they just don't, you know, and recruitment is totally different too. It's not just, you know, a couple guys bringing back reports and figuring out who you like. So it's just not realistic. It's just not modern football anymore. That's why you need the support. You need the analysis side and the scouting side and the sports science size side, all kind of working together under the same umbrella for the same goals. And managing the first team is only part of that. You know, we'll talk about that in a little bit, what, what that kind of looks like. Now, the question is, what other guys would join us? I mean, James, you put out a tweet on our account that 
I thought had some interesting names on it. We got some pretty good responses, I thought. Yeah, we got some. I mean, there's been a ton of names linked up to this point. Basically, anyone that's out of a job or could potentially be lured away. You've got, as you said, Ryan, the agent clients getting floated around. But we had some really good responses to the tweet and some uh, appreciate everyone engaging and giving us their thoughts. Yeah, we had David Boaz throw out Paulo Fonseca. That's a name we haven't heard in a couple of years. He has uh, escaped us for many a moon nowadays, which was a, a funny option nonetheless. He's tall. He's good looking. He did. He is. He's a handsome guy. Um, yeah, I, I, I like him. He's very attacking minded, but I, I think he's terrific. Um, the Discord has a bunch of people, too. I, I strongly advise if people want to have some rational conversation and some have a little fun, too. There's some funny stuff going on. What's the slogan now for Duncan Ferguson? Everton runs on Duncan. There you go for you New Englanders. Um, Ethan Zander at the Penny Blue um, had lots of feedback, which is good because he's been pretty active in this court talking about managers. And uh, my favorite one, though, his off script option, which is great, was uh, referencing what Knudsen and uh, what Asmund Bajorkin is their director of football at uh, Ode Glimt. I think that's how you would pronounce it somewhat in Norwegian. Apologies for our brethren. We actually have a lot of listeners from Norway, which is cool. Um, yeah, I think that's a bit aggressive there, Penny, but I like the, the thinking out of the box and there are a lot of names out there. Like I, I throw out Diego Martinez. We were talking about him and there's a lot of conversations about these managers, but, but the list, I mean, there, there are a couple early names that have come out that have been kind of dismissed. Definitely worth talking about. There's one big name that man got a lot of strong response from the fan base. I think. Yes. This was starting to break, uh, heck of a dancer too. Yeah. Heck of a dancer. Unbelievable moves. And that is none other than Bobby Brown shoes. The first manager Farhad Moshiri sacked upon taking ownership of Everton Football Club. And he was, of course, the real first name that was linked and heavily seemed to be wanted by Everton. I'll give you uh, well, no prizes for guessing which board member allegedly was behind trying to bring Roberto Martinez back into the fold at Everton. But thankfully, and I put out a tweet, uh, the Belgian FA came in to save us and prevented him from. And, and this this was crazy because they were saying he was going to do both jobs. They were saying he's going to leave the job, but then the Belgian FA wouldn't let him because he wants to be at the helm at the World Cup. People were furious. You had all the pictures of the Martinez out signs from many moons ago, which feels like it, but really wasn't that long ago. So Alex, what did you think when you started to see the Roberto Martinez links resurface? I know what Alex thought. (laughs) No, no, no. So I thought, I thought it was kind of funny. I thought it was a link that I thought it was kind of clickbait to be honest. Like it was one of those where it was one of those where like you see it and you laugh a little bit and you're like, ha, okay, classic paper talk. This is only the beginning. But we come to find out that it was honestly a very real. Um, but, you know, I think I think Paul Roberts at PD Roberts 1968 had a pretty good point. And he essentially said that he felt Martinez would have been OK till the end of the season. Um, although I'm not sure how that's, you know, how that would have worked with, again, you know, Belgium. Well, I, I think some people would argue that Martinez's problems was recruitment, you know, more so than game planning. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think that's the right choice either way. Well, yeah. Yeah. By the way, if you really want to see the uh, Roberto Martinez dancing at the Jason Derulo concert, I recommend that one. We have it up on the Discord if you'd like to join and see it. That was Alex's specialty, and we were laughing very hard about that. It's pretty great. Preparation Jamming, yeah. You know, it's good to see personality. I, I think you may be a better dancer than the man whose name shall not be mentioned. Um, 
Another name that came up, which I thought was ludicrous, is probably due to his is Mendez links. Um, well, I mean, Alex, you could take us away on this one. This was not going to happen. No, 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 no. We're talking about the main man himself, Jose Mourinho. Um, a, I think he probably would have laughed anyone that called him regarding Everton off the phone and all the way to the bank. Um, two, I think his Roma team is doing pretty well. But it was, it, it did seem to have legs of some sort. We sounded him out at least, uh, as reported initially by Alan Myers at Sky Sports. Um, but again, I think the overwhelming majority of the fan base agreed that was probably not going to be a great move, and luckily it does not seem it will be. I thought it was a troll, to be honest, when I saw it. I thought Farhad, you know, but it, it made sense in that this is direct, this is perfect Farhad Moshiri move. Just call up the guys who are allegedly, potentially a little bit past it, but have the Hollywood manager label and try to lure him to Everton because that is the only thing that this guy can seem to process in terms of managerial appointments is who was a big name a decade ago and who can I bring in to try to resuscitate their career? Yes, yeah, it's definitely Kia Mendez link to, I mean, this, this tweet, by the way, is amazing. Yeah. We had a friendly neighborhood man spider uh, at shrimp hotel. I appreciate the, it's always sunny reference there said, I'd rather fold the club than hire Roberto Martinez or Jose Mourinho. And on a permanent basis for either of them, I'd agree. I think maybe on an interim, Martinez could have worked. But uh, yeah, I, I really like that comment and uh, get, can get behind it. So let's get to the two guys that have been rumored to be interviewing. I think it was the mirror who brought this up. Um, I, these kind of boggle my mind a little bit, but I guess they galvanized the fan base. First option, Wayne Rooney. Um, Look, he took over Derby after Koku was fired after 11 matches. They were bottom, although, you know, their peripherals looked a little better. One at 10 out of the next 35, got him to 44 points. 21st, barely ensuring safety. So great job, I guess. Look, they started out the season docked 21 points. Otherwise, they'd be at 35 points and around 11th. So there's some merit to that. I mean, that's good, you know, and he's had a lot of issues with money and things. And But the guy's still working on his UEFA Pro license, so that does create some logistical issues if he were to do it. But but my my point of this is that enough to qualify him for the for the Everton job? I mean that's what I don't that one I I, I mean it's one club half a se- season and a half basically almost a full season at this point. I mean in no way in no way is that qualif- to qualify him for the Everton job, right? Yeah, so I what, mean so I literally explain I, this, Alex. Like I don't get this. Then why are people like what's the deal? Well, you see, it was only a couple years ago in which I went to DC to see this man play, and now we're talking about him managing Everton in the Premier League. So I think. That in itself is kind of absurd to say, um, you know, the way that he took over Darby, Darby County. I mean, like, yes, it's it's impressive, but it's not impressive to the to the extent that we feel he could take over this dumpster fire of a club and turn it into something positive. And, and I also personally feel that, you know, if Wayne Rooney is going to take over the helm at Everton, it needs to be at a time in which he's set up for success. And personally, for him currently whether that's a his qualifications or b slash experience or b the current dumpster fire that the club is i think it would turn sour very quickly and ruin something that possibly could be a lot better for him and for us as fans later down the road agreed i think it's just it's too soon for wayne um i think you said it ryan it's something that could potentially galvanize the fan base he's a boyhood blue he made the you know my kids sleep in everton pajamas comments when he came back a few years ago but and he's a boyhood blue, but he's not like an Everton legend. I know people have this debate 
And people say, okay, he, he gets the club. He would, he would understand. I saw someone say he understands the requirements that the fans demand. And to me, it's like, I don't understand what is particularly unique, not to be disrespectful, but about Everton that requires this like intense familiarity with the fan base. People want to win. If we win, if we have a manager who's setting us up for success and we're winning matches, they could be from Timbuktu for all it matters. That's what Evertonians want is a successful manager who's going to win matches. And though Wayne Rooney is in, as Alex described it, a, I believe dumpster fire was the terminology used at Derby County. The dumpster fire at Everton is much higher profile and the level of, of football, frankly, is obviously miles away from, you know, the, the bottom of the championship where he's using uh, free agents and, and free transfers to try to scrap them out of the relegation zone. The Premier League is a completely different animal and it would be unfair to both Everton and Wayne Rudy to, to give him the job and expect him to uh, get us out of this mess. There's so many strange comparisons that people were trying to make on social media to the Wayne situation. I just kind of were laughing at them. I'm like, you really don't know what you like, who you're comparing him to, you know? So no, I, I think it's ridiculous. And there's no way this is enough of a body of work to, for anyone to feel comfortable about it. You know, there's no way there's just no chance. So no, I, I think this is, I can't believe he would be even in consideration. Todd Graham at I L M Graham four. This is a good comment, I think. I agree that a director of football should make this decision. I also realize the reality of the situation. What is the luckiest we can get based on this board? Can we catch lightning in a bottle with Wayne Rooney? I think that's kind of his point. Always an element of risk. We need luck now because there's no structure to depend on. So that's a good point. I mean, there's no structure anyway. We need, I guess, someone to get in. I don't think we need him by <laughs> for the Villa match, considering then we have an international break. But the other one, though, that that almost disturbs me more, because I think Wayne can point to it in the fact that he's doing a pretty good job. You know, his guys are showing character. I also think it's a like there's it's a no lose situation for Wayne, too, in many ways. You know what I mean? I, I mean, it's not I don't know how much pressure there is on you. You're expected to fail. The one that gets me, though, is Frank Lampert. So we know Frank, former Chelsea manager. He, he's legitimately probably the worst performing manager in Chelsea's modern history. That doesn't mean he was bad, but it's Chelsea. They're loaded. Oh, but he didn't have transfer action and all this stuff. I, I don't care. Like his team was still filled with superstars. Um, Andre, Andre uh, Villabos had a worse win, win rate, if we're going to ignore Gus Hiddings kind of second spell. Um, it, really in the modern era since, I mean, 98, basically, you know, since they've been really good. I mean, he got Derby into the playoff finals. I, I just don't think finishing six when they were, you know, one point worse than the year before in sixth place is really all that impressive people forget Darby is is a good club you know and they were top 10 you know five six years in a row there in the championship I think they never quite broke through but Frank Lampard might not even be a good coach so no 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 I think we'd be in huge trouble if we ever got Lampard as our as our next manager um there's not a big enough sample size to say like he would have enough experience I mean it's just like Wayne Rooney right I mean it's just like Wayne Rooney he he does not have the experience that we're looking for in my opinion and it feels like it's one of those links for the name alone, which is very annoying. Just like Wayne Rooney, arguably less proven, he's had already a failed stint in the Premier League, and he's not an Evertonian. So he doesn't even have that going for him. He's English, which I guess... He doesn't know the club. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know the club. So, uh, and, and of course, he had an amazing career as a player, but we know that that doesn't really amount to much in the managerial world always. So uh, no to Frank Lampard for me, a hard no. So the last two names on the list, I think for me, are the most attractive ones in terms of body of work and just managerial capabilities. Lucian Favre's a guy that I think is 
a really good manager, to be perfectly honest. I think his personality plays at Everton. Uh, I think Greg O'Keefe mentioned interest in him. He's older. I mean, he's 64, although I, he's pretty youthful. His English is okay. I've heard him speak it. I mean, he really didn't leave Switzerland until later in his career, though. I think that's that's maybe why people didn't didn't know him as much. But, I mean, he did miracles at his first club, Servette, and, and Zurich he did really well. I mean, he was fired at, at Hearth after a good first year, but they had financial issues. He resigned. Dude, Borussia Mönchengladbach, he was unbelievable. You know, he resigned after the first six, ma- you know, five matches later, but like he was unbelievable. Jumped to Nice. They finished third his first year. I mean, every year it's like the first year he jumps in there. He really gives teams a boost. Mönchengladbach's a good comparison because he kind of took them out of the relegation zone. That, that's why I like him. I mean, he's kind of had that same type of thing where he took over teams that weren't in the best shape and immediately improved them. And then, you know, over a longer period of time, he eventually, over multiple years, got Mönchengladbach as, you know, really good team in the Champions League. Uh, he did great his first year at Dortmund, too. I mean, they were unbelievable. He didn't do as well in the second year and got sacked. But, I mean, it's Dortmund, you know. I mean, they don't put up with much there. That's a really competitive club. And, my God, the guy's win rate at Dortmund is, like, almost 62%. I like him a lot. I just think he's a lovely guy. I like the way they play. You know, he plays kind of fluid, dynamic football. I mean, lots of it's built out from the back. What our fans have the patience for that? I don't know. But once they get out of there, they do attack. I mean, he plays some different play, you know, five, four, two, three, one. He's played a lot. He's played three, four, three. His big thing that everyone laughs about is how his teams always outperform XG for some reason. And we don't know why. I mean, they're just really picky in their shot selection. But to a point of absurdity, um, uh, you guys have some opinions on on Favre. I mean, this, this kind of sounds like the type of guy that I think would do a good job right away and maybe could even be a permanent guy. He works as the director of football. I think we'd like to see that structure going forward. I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts? I mean, I know he, he works well with directors of football. Assuming that's the direction we want to go, I think that obviously is a plus in his column. I think, you know, the abruptness of his tenures at, at Nice and Dortmund is a little bit of a concern. But as you mentioned, Ryan, Dortmund tend to be extremely cutthroat. Um, and the win percentage is outstanding for pretty much everywhere he's been since Servette in 2000, which obviously that's a totally different ball game than playing in the Premier League. I mean, he got them to be fifth in that league. I mean, they were nowhere near that league to begin with. That's quite, pretty cool. I mean, uh, pretty amazing for the guy. But yeah, I mean, right. I mean, he's not going to win. You're not going to win big there. Yeah. And I mean, he, of course, turned down Crystal Palace in the summer, wasn't quite ready to return. Does another six or seven months change that for him? Um, really probably doesn't have to work again, obviously, True. With the salary, but could he be persuaded, uh, given the right framework at Everton with time, that it might be a good fit? Because, again, I don't think the current state is something that would be appealing. But if there's there's a framework laid out that, hey, we're going to get to this point, here's our one to two year plan, that's when things really kick in, could be enticing for him. Yeah, he might not go. He probably has the best resume, I think, objectively looking at it of anyone out there that's available. That's free. You know, whether he comes or not, it's another story, right? I mean, I don't know. Alex, I, I think you like Favre, right? I mean, we've had that conversation yeah. a couple of times on this. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think the brand of football and the flexibility is something exciting to think about. I think that he has the experience to kind of weather the storm and would have a better chance at seeing Everton through the kind of issues that we have now. Also, while we kind of build up our internal structure as well. Um, as you mentioned with the director of football. Um, but, you know, I think I think just in terms of, like, can can Everton lure him? I will say this. The Premier League seems to be a lure for a lot of people, whether that's players or managers. I will say that, in my opinion, professionals do value their personal brand. He's older. You know, he may not have, like, the legs on his career that he, he you know, others may. 
in which that would be a huge decision point for him or a sticking point for him. Um, but I also think I, I think it could be a huge lure. We have money. You know, we have money to spend on a manager. He'll probably make more at Everton than he could at a lot of other jobs. Um, but he's also going to have options. So I think if if we're smart, we'll go for him. And, and hopefully we can kind of coerce him into being stupid enough to take it. I mean, this doesn't have to be a long-term appointment, too. I think some people want us to pick, like, the end-all, be-all greatest manager of all time right now. I don't think it has to be that, necessarily. Um, so the other the other big name here is Niko Kovac, uh, former Monaco manager, fell out with Paul Mitchell uh, there. That's a tricky place, too, you know, because they're always shuttling in kind of young players and rebuilding almost every year. I mean, there are worse places to physically be, I suppose. But um, Everton Blue Army send this out, quoting the Telegraph. Um, Everton looking a number of candidates, blah, blah, blah. They mentioned Kovac keen to work at the Premier League. I think he attended an Everton game last year for some reason. Is that right? Did I get that right? Um, yeah, something like that. I mean, he started out in Salzburg kind of as a youth coach. I mean, he's a pretty well-known player. You know, he's a stud at Bayern Munich in a couple places. He managed Croatia for a bit, did okay. Uh, did really well at Frankfurt. I mean, that's kind of his big job, his breakthrough. He won, won the the Poco, like won the cup with Frankfurt, which is crazy that was a big win for them um Byron came in for him um won the double and then got fired in November after a big, bad start some people said he lost the locker room and there were some issues there but I don't know I mean then he took over at Monaco finished third I mean had a good season I think but was fired this January not doing as well he's a little bit different I mean he played differently too I think at Frankfurt than he had in some other places I, I he played a lot of like kind of longer passing and similar to Favre in terms of the build-up but he could be pretty direct. What I love is I, I always think of him as like his Sebastian Haller Rebich kind of combo forwards at, at Frankfurt. And I always think of, cause we were looking at strikers for a while. I think we we're even looking at Hilaire Dominic Calvert-Lewin now more mature in Richarlison. Like I think those two, that's what I think of. Like those two could really be an interesting combo. Um, he likes a lot of midfielders. He, he doesn't want to be outnumbered there and maybe an issue with too many wingers. Cause like if he's playing that three, five, two, I don't know who plays in there. Um, but he likes possession too. He pressures on defense for sure. And he played a lot of three, four, one, two with Monaco and some four, two, three, one. So he's pretty adaptable. Uh, ben at BT underscore 1878 has a pretty good tweet about it. He, he's obviously a fan. So Ben said, here are the reasons why Nico Kovac should be the next Everton manager. He is a flexible in his setups, which Ryan seemed to mention aggressive and pressing football, which is what Everton should want. Um, he loves to give youth a chance, which again is something that the Everton faithful love to see. And lastly, improves underperforming players. For example, check out his work at Frankfurt, which we definitely have a fair few of those as well. I'm sold on either of these guys, as long as it's not Rooney or Lampard. I mean, guys with a resume, guys who have managed at some top clubs, look, <clears throat> neither of whom have managed in the Premier League, could be looking to cut their teeth. They've got a body of work. They've proven themselves to be flexible, which I think is going to be incredibly important, uh, both tactically and uh, professionally, because who knows what we're going to have them doing in the next couple of years. We could have them, you know, watering the training pitch. Who we, we just can't possibly <laughs> predict that. No, but I mean, right now, what do we need? I mean, I think we've seen a steady hand that could set this team up right. I think there's plenty of talent here, especially with guys coming back from injury to go up the table a bit and be in safety. I mean, that's the number one goal for sure. You don't want to get dragged into relegation battle and they need to win right now. So I think it's very important because this window, we play some bad teams. This is where you can pick up points. Um, so I want a guy that knows how to decompose another team and, and set up a team to win. And so I, I, I think this would be an interesting hire for sure. But I'd be remiss to mention the big kind of, you know, Duncan Ferguson has been named as the interim manager. But 
is he a consideration for the for the long term job? Uh, I think this is a tricky situation, don't you guys think, James? What are your thoughts on Big Dunk? I mean, it's 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 hard to say. I don't know if we have to make that choice now. I don't know. What do you think? It's a really interesting situation. We had a couple comments. Honestly, a lot of people chiming in on Big Dunk. We had Patrick Ridge at Patrick Ridge say. Dunk deserves Villa, maybe Brentford, obviously, after the international break. He said, ideally, decision made by then, though. Then we had at Blues of Goodison said, give him a few games, see how he fares, get a DOF in place to aid the decision making and start a long term vision. And I think that is I'm on record as saying exactly that you kind of just like, what is the point of bringing in spending big on a manager now when you have no vision to execute. You want the manager to be downstream from the higher level executives of the club. For me, if we don't at least entrust Dunk to take the helm for the Villa match and at least the Brentford match, then he should just leave and go somewhere else and find, you know, try his trade because clearly he'll never get the opportunity if he doesn't get it right now. The club's in shambles. He's worked under the last six managers. He knows the club. He had an unbelievable interview today where he said that the players need to, you know, bleed for the shirt, the type of stuff. I mean, Goodison is going to be unbelievable against Villa on Saturday. It's going to be a wild match. So I think if Dunk can come out the gates and get a couple of early results, the board can buy some time and really not have to rush this decision. It's a question of how much trust do they have in him and how long a leash will they give him if results don't go his way because, and I'll hand it off in a second, We've really seen him, A, come in really quickly for some huge matches and get kind of a blood and thunder graft fight for the shirt result. But how long does that really last? Can that continue over the course of half a season if we needed to? And B, I put this out earlier today, we don't really know how he's going to set up a team to play against some of the sides that we need to beat and should beat because we've seen him go against Chelsea, Arsenal, Man United, etc. With that, I'll let you guys chime in on Big Dunk. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it just depends on what your expectations are. I mean, I'll say that he deserves, based on his last stint, he deserves a handful of games to be in charge regardless, right, in terms of, like, the length of leash. Because uh, I think he shows that he can, or he has showed in the past that he can set the team up um, for some sort of success. And in terms of, you know, the rest of the season, I mean, it really just depends on what your goals are for the season. If your goal for the season is essentially claw your ba- claw your way back to mid-table, maybe go for a you know, 12th place finish or something, then sure, you know, but if, but if it's just stay up and big dunk can, you know, can get us some points within the first, you know, X amount of matches, three, four, five matches. And then we'd rather just wait until the summer to make a decision that works too. I, I just think that it's one of those things where, you know, based on the decision that's coming on the manager, we'll, we'll, we will see soon the direction that the club seems to be going in and, and the decision, the sort of decision-making I think Mashiri is going to be made. I be, certainly, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I certainly don't think he can set us up worse <laughs> to be honest. The problem is he's just such an unknown, you know, you just don't know. Um, you know, you figure there's going to be blood and guts, you know, the fans will get behind them. So there's something to be said for that, but you know, you just don't know what, what, what his tactical acumen is at this point. You know, we were fairly well organized defensively when he was there. Uh, but we were very conservative when we saw him play. But there's nothing wrong with being kind of pragmatic if you feel like that's what you need to do at the time. And I, I don't fault him for that. I mean, I've I've heard things that he actually wants to play more expansive, be more aggressive. It's not like he was a defender. I mean, I think maybe people stereotype him because he's such a big lug, you know, and he was so so tough and, you know, wasn't afraid to pop someone in the nose that you would just kind of expect that from him. 
um, which is not really fair to him, kind of doing him a disservice. But we just don't know. I mean, ultimately, I think what Duncan Ferguson really needs to do is leave. You know, he needs to find an opportunity and build his way back up because I, I think Evertonians would love nothing better than for him to develop as a head coach and be fantastic and, and, and coach this club. That would be awesome. Would that ever happen? Who knows? I mean, I, I don't want to put anything past the guy. He seems like he's pretty determined. Um, I mean, the accent's hellacious, but uh, I, I do think he, he actually comes across and makes very good pointed arguments when he's talking about football, which I'm encouraged by. Uh, we had some great consensus comments though, about listeners about the structure, and, and this is kind of my direction as well. Curious what you guys think. I think it is for you too. Um, DL, DL Barks, obviously friend of the program, longtime participator, my brother in crime in, uh, the Rafael Benitez fair objective critiques on the discord. Uh, I like his comment here. I think it makes sense. So DL says, if any of them are hired permanently, we've failed again, must have a director in place to make this decision. Anything other than interim is extremely problematic. Mourinho or Lampard would be disastrous. Rooney would be very concerning. And look, I agree with them who in this board right now is qualified to pick a football manager. And Graham Sharp knows football. I'm not arguing that he doesn't, but I think he's more there to kind of be more of a cultural person to protect the the brand and, and you know, the identity of Everton more so than be in touch with modern football. You know, I was actually encouraged when we got linked to Tim Cahill as maybe an independent board member. I don't know how that would work with his kind of PSG link. And, you know, he's a, he's a board member at, at um, UPIN in, in Belgium, but I don't, I don't know exactly how that plays out, but seriously, does anyone have any, I mean, Bill's not going to do this. I mean, Bill wants Bobby Brown shoes. I mean, Farhad is just going to listen to Kia. So Kia is going to look at his buddy, Jorge Mendez, and say, okay, you got Gattuso. You've got Nuno Espirosantos. And he'll come in and, hey, Mendez, you know, you can have a couple transfer fees as a result of that in the summer. Like, I, I don't, I, I think DL's right. What do you guys think? Yeah, he's got it all spot on. I mean, down to the to the disastrous um, appointments of Rooney Lampard, Etal, and and then again, just the structure. Um, you know, so I, I really, really, really hope we see that another director of football is put in place because again, we, we still don't even know officially if that's the route we're going. Yeah, I'm on board and Casey Griffin is too, as were many of our other listeners, uh, Casey Griffin at C underscore Griff 314 said, I don't have a strong opinion on any manager. What we need is a DOF and a footballing vision for the club. This is the best opportunity to rebuild the club with a clear structure. The right manager is one that fits into a unified and functioning club. We need to be that first. And I agree. Look, if you're recruiting a manager and then backtracking and trying to build a structure above him, it's a, it's completely backwards. It makes no sense. The best thing that could happen, honestly, is, is Farhad coming out and saying that, you know what I'm saying? Like coming out and saying, look, we've tried a lot of things here. My bad. You know, obviously I have backed you guys financially. I hope you guys appreciate it. Cause you made the point James a couple pods ago that he's finally catching heat. Moshir and he hadn't before well because he he went out on a limb for Rafa Benitez and it backfired spectacularly and so now he's on the hot seat we know he's had the say with hiring previous managers he gets this one wrong things could get really ugly he can't afford to get it wrong and I would say if he's making the decision he will inevitably get it wrong and therefore he needs to delegate the choice to someone who knows the world of modern football inside and out and can make a rational well-reasoned decision on who is an appropriate choice to, and it aligns with the director of football's vision. And if we go away from that model, we're in deep, deep, deep trouble as a club. It's absurd. I mean, no one goes away from that model at this point. I mean, it's just everyone's eventually going to have some form of it, for heaven's sakes. I mean, what matters is you have a well-governed structure, too. But look, the director of football, by nature, is the one that's a liaison between the board and the football. 
the insinuation there is that the board can't make pure footballing decisions and they can't. So look, I, the biggest recent news that I saw that, which is absolutely not a legitimate source. I don't think 90 minutes, but I was encouraged by it because it at least got your imagination thinking is um, Everton are interested in Brighton and Hove Albion technical director, Dan Ashworth, Ashworth, pardon so we've talked about Dan Ashworth on this program. I actually wrote like a whole identity paper in my my other job um, in football. Uh, yeah, I mean, this would be an absolute home run hire. I mean, I, I don't believe for a second Dan Ashworth, much in the same way as Potter, you know, talked about it. Ashworth's not going to come here unless he knows he's going to be able to put a structure together because I think he's ambitious. He wants to be at the top of his profession. That's the vibe I get from him. He's very business savvy. He's very strategic. Um, if he were to get the job, I would be convinced. I'm, and Brands, I'm sure, had a little bit of this, too. But Dan Ashworth is not a pushover. He's not the type of guy that's going to take this gig, I don't think, unless he's given the assurances he need to actually be the director of football. At this point, who the heck's in his way? You know, I, this would be I, I, you know, I hate to be stupidly optimistic. But when I hear this name, man, I get excited because literally that's all Farhad would have to do. I mean, there's a lot more infrastructure that needs to be built above. But if all he did was hire an outstanding director of football and say, have at it. I mean, that's, I mean, that would set everything in motion. That would make all the difference in the world. I, I would be dancing around like Roberto Bart- Martinez at a, at a Jason Derulo concert. <laughs> Sorry. I bet not as out. good though. Well, I, Hey man, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit of a tall grok, but I, I got some moves, man. Come on. You'd have to work your arms out before that move. Oh, that big windmill thing he's got going, man. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I got more reach though, but yeah, I mean, I, this is, I don't know how many fans would really appreciate it. You know, I hopefully more, I think more of maybe getting more savvy on kind of modern structures, but I mean, tell me you guys wouldn't be over the moon if this is what he did. I mean, this would signal the right direction. Would it not? I don't think there's many hires that could signal it more than this one. Um, and, and I think it's a dubious source indeed, but not outside the realm of possibility that if he were in fact Farhad to just hand over the keys and say, take this car from me and I can't drive. I'm too drunk to drive. I need you to take me home, Dan. Well, well, look, even if, if he even doesn't entirely, I mean, I think there's hope that maybe there's a cultural issue too here that, that, you know, an English guy who, who can speak the business language, maybe Marcel struggled with that a little bit, could just build a better relationship with Mashiri. You know, I mean, probably going to text him and annoy him all the time about players and whatever key is saying to him. But maybe if you can build that proper relationship, that's trustful, he gives a shot. There's some material to work with here at Everton. I mean, despite the disaster that was Rafael Benitez that he left us with it, we're not dead. We just overpaid for some players and we got some cultural rebuilds. You know what I mean? You take care of the manager now, get us to the summer. You know, not all is lost, but yeah, I mean, I, I just, that that's my hope again. Am I being stupidly optimistic, Alex? No, not at all. I mean, I think, I think literally every fan would agree with that sentiment. So, I mean, we would be very lucky to get it. Dan Ashworth. Um, so again, hopefully, hopefully we see a new director of football coming in soon. Hopefully, Big Dunk can smash it at Villa on the weekend. Have Goodison absolutely rocking. Yes, indeed, and that is going to do it for us on this episode of the American Toffee Podcast. We thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating or review. If you want to find us on social media, you can find all our links at linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash USA Toffee Pod. Uh, link will be in the description as well. Definitely join our Discord as well if you haven't already. That's invite.gg slash ATP. Otherwise, we will be with you following the Villa match, hopefully celebrating a blood and thunder victory under Big Dunk. Uh, otherwise, until then, up the Toffees. <laughs>